from the point of view of the thing that can see everything that's ever happened in this universe, it finds that it is good. It finds that it is beautiful. And so it may not be beautiful from our one little camera angle. Oh, one little camera angle just had three kids and they died in a fire and they freaking died of cancer. And it's like, my faith is not that it's going to work out for me. My faith is that it's beautiful and that I am part of a beautiful work of art. From, if not my perspective, then from the perspective that can see it out of every camera angle at once. And let's assume that that thing is in the future. We're all uploading ourselves. All of our memories are going into the cloud. And it can see them all. And from light's point of view, right? If you're a lighticle and you were created and let's say there was a big bang and you're going to, let's say there's a black hole at the end of time, from the point of view of light, it got there in not even one Planck length of space and time. Light got there instantly and it took every path to get there. So from the point of view of the mind I'm talking about, bam, it all happened. And it's fucking beautiful. It goddamn better well be. I have to believe that it is. I choose to believe that it is because that's the thing that gets me up in the morning and being like, yeah, let's keep playing for this thing. Greetings, future fossils. This is Michael Garfield welcoming you to another episode of the podcast that explores our place in time. It's a big day today. This is episode 100, which is why I saved this special, special conversation for this week. A chat with a guest so awesome and important that we had to have it twice (laughs) because the whole two plus hour conversation that we recorded back on April Fool's Day, she wanted to keep it patrons only and out of the public feed because we just dove in and started rapping at each other like we didn't have an audience and we're going a million miles an hour and it's kind of hard to understand. So... Our dear friend Heather flew her back to Austin so that we could record a second conversation, and then we did the whole same thing over again, and I acted like a puppy in a dog park and talked way too much in this episode, so please forgive me, because the tea fairy is a magical and rare and wonderful creature, the only regular columnist for Arrowid.org, the uh, acclaimed drug information site, if you're familiar with them. I think if you could regard psychonautics as a genre, then the Tea Fairy would be the rock star of that genre, like the Led Zeppelin. Or maybe a better analogy would be that among fantasy films, she's the never-ending story. Or maybe uh, with science fiction, she's Frank Herbert's Dune. And we're talking about somebody who is keeping the enthusiasm and raw weirdness of the 1990s Mondo 2000 cyberpunk transhumanist future forward, let's do this kind of attitude in full-throated splendor. Somebody who really helps balance my cynicism, as you will hear in this episode. But someone who I think has some really powerful and important cautionary perspectives for a very ungrounded psychedelics slash technology double scene here. I think as technology becomes more psychedelic and psychedelics become more and more a technology that we will find the Tea Fairy's hard-won wisdoms to be increasingly relevant to our daily lives in general. So please, please forgive me for talking too much 
in this episode. I am just so excited to see her and to get to share one of her extremely rare podcast appearances with you. But before we dive into an episode that is basically just two people interrupting each other with science fiction references <laughs> incessantly for an hour and a half, um, I wanted to let everybody know about the new Future Fossils book club that I am starting on Patreon. We've been talking about it a little bit in the Facebook discussion group, um, but starting this month, December... We're going to be reading a new book every month and then hosting a video call where we'll take a few hours at our leisure and go over the ideas of these works uh, in great luxurious detail. And the first one that I am extremely excited to be doing with everybody is Peter Watts's book, Blind Sight. This was a Hugo Award finalist. It was recommended to me by last episode's guest, Eric Davis, whose taste in science fiction is professional aficionado level. And I just finished Blind Sight, and I'm extremely excited to be discussing this with the Future Fossils patrons because it has everything. Like, it's just literally a smorgasbord of all of the cool ideas that we have discussed on this show in very, very skillful fictional delivery. And it is dark, and it is wonderful. And I have so much to say about this book and so many questions to throw into the discussion. So the book club conversation for Peter Watts's Blind Sight will be sometime in early January, and it will be available to everybody who signs up as a Patreon supporter at any level, patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. I also have a ton of psychedelic coloring book pages and special patrons-only episodes coming out this month for you fine people who have been helping me keep this show going without having to make any kind of creative compromises for sponsors. Special note to the three most recent patrons, Christian Holmes, Morton Tundle, and Mark Benito. I hope I am pronouncing y'all's names correctly. <laughs> I am so glad that this podcast can continue to be as weird as it has to be in order to communicate a little of the flavor of our exceedingly weird future. So, anyway, if a monthly visionary sci-fi reading group sounds like fun to you, then I hope you will join us. I am extremely pumped to see where this development leads us as a community because the Facebook group has been wonderful. And there are so many brilliant, amazing people in the listening audience of this show. And I would love to do whatever I can to get you into deeper conversation with one another. That's the real motivation here. So anyway, okay. Thank you all so, so much for sticking it with me through 100 episodes. And give it up for the Tea Fairy. All right, we're doing this. Yay! It's happening. Again. Thank How many you. times does this happen? Uh, Did it, I say that out loud? Twice to my knowledge. Are you fucking with me? <laughs> How many times does this happen? Thanks to Heather for having you out here, Hi. wherever she is right now. We're really glad, all of us, listening to this episode from the future. Hi, future people. 
that we we I hope it's to awesome. you into this show not once but twice, and I'm looking forward to this being a very novel and complete conversation with you. So, the Tea Fairy, thanks for being on Future Fossils. Why, thank you. If you like it so much that you, for whatever reason, wanted to hear more of the fairy rambling with Michael Garfield, in fact, there's like a couple hours of it behind his Patreon wall there. I'm talking too fast, but um, you could slow it down in theory. Like, <laughs> be the only podcast that you would slow down instead of speeding up. That was then and this is now. We, I couldn't even heat water for tea mm. before you and I got into it about, you know, life after the singularity and all of that biz. Like we do. And yes, the fidelity of mind uploads. There was a piece that we picked up on the secret first recording about my concern mm. that humankind is about to split into the like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, billionaire, immortal, head in a jar types, you know, robot Nixon's back versus <laughs> the uh, plebes, you know, everybody else that's like in, in uh, Elysium, you know, Matt Damon just scraping away and he's probably got cyborg enhancements because he needs them to work in the Amazon warehouse, you know, but... It's not like a, a tremendously empowering thing. It's actually violating and horrible. So you had a different angle on this, and I would like for us to start there. So you're not you're not afraid of rich people getting the future first. Oh, I think it's great that rich people are going to get it first because eggs are going to... I mean, loving you rich people, and thank you, and I'm a huge fan of Elon Musk. But eggs are going to be broken. Beginner's mistakes are going to be made. You know, rich people are welcome to get it first. By the time it gets democratized, it's going to be functional. How long does that take? I mean, we have more computer on our phones than not the shuttle had, than mission control had in the Apollo mission, say, by a lot. The phone they're giving away at the bank has more computer on it. How long did that take for it to get democratized in one generation of having babies, say, you know, we will have the technology that works for, I mean, essentially everybody, unless they want to hold it behind their backs for some reason. So when it comes to the issue of immortality, you kind of feel like people are, like the first immortals are going to be bad copies? <laughs> that, that it's going to be, well, uh, yeah. that, that we won't. They may be able them. to continue to upgrade themselves, but the first, the first generation uploads say let's just go with the idea that uploads are going to be possible right we don't know that yet but if it turns out to be computable they're going to end up in a virtual reality say that's not really been built out yet and they're going to be low fidelity copies in a way because our limbic system for instance is a large part of our consciousness. So let's just say that you somehow were able to record your brain with fidelity. You still don't feel like you do if you're embodied. You're not angry or fearful or horny. or And, you know, that may be an upgrade, but it's going to be way but, different. But you don't think we're going to you don't think we're going to start by copying the whole person? No, I think it's going to be easier first to copy your brain. 
than just your whole nervous system, including your glandular effects. Did you see RoboCop 2? No, I saw... No. There's a whole scene in this uh, where they show... (laughs) You see this video of, like, all of the subsequent attempts to make another RoboCop. Like, it wasn't just a flash in the pan, right? Like, they're hoping to reproduce this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you see them experimenting on prisoners, Sure. And, like, the robo-prisoners all go insane and, like, you know, gun down everybody in the laboratory. It's one of those. Obviously, this is not... I mean, there's been a long and ignominious tradition of experimenting on, you know, those who we have control over. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess, you know, I bring that up because one of the things I actually like about the RoboCop movies is they get into the mindfuck of waking up without your human body mm. and being like, oh okay, you know, I have, like, superpowers now, but I'm, in another way, I'm powerfully incomplete and thus also subject to the uh, coders. You know, there's something about opening ourselves up. And it's not just RoboCop. um, John C. Wright's writing of the Golden Age, he he gets into this in that series. Well, you don't have to upload yourself for that. Let's say that we have... uh, you know, I am a big fan of Neuralink. Like I said, go Elon Musk. We're going to need to have, you know, more output potential than we currently have if we want to, you know, interface with the AI. But that suggests if anything in your brain that has both in inflow and outflow, in theory, could be hacked. Yeah, true. So you're not Strauss, being uploaded. You're not being uploaded even. But like, oh, now you've got a chip in your brain, and in theory you're going to be subject to that. It's training wheels, but it's low nearly upon us. I mean, do you, do you think that I'm just cynical as a... Yes. No. As a, as Not a compared mo- to people. But... As a millennial, right? <laughs> like, do you think that I'm just being cynical about, you know, having grown up in an age when all of the rhetorical promise of the internet turned out to be a way to convince us to participate in the a real-time experiment was... about the world's most successful behavioral control and social engineering mechanism ever. There's no question that people were complicit in this. Anyway. I, no, I think you're totally wrong. I think that, yes, you, it, not totally wrong. I think that the warnings are important, right? I think that it's necessary to have sort of like the 1984... What's the Huxley one? Brave New World, right? Everybody knows Brave New World. People don't mostly know Island. Like, what happens if you try to psychedelically but, but, regulate society and it turns out? Well, but, but, but Island was about a utopia that was destroyed from the outside by the well, military. Sure. And again, there's a warning, but not and... a warning about don't even try it, right? Yeah. And so the warnings are important. And if you're joining this band, and, all right, there's drums playing, and there's, you know, flutes playing, and there's guitars playing. What's missing here? There's 90% warnings and 10% of people saying, go, this could be awesome. The warnings are being done. The warnings are important. There needs to be voices that are saying, well, yeah, but it could be awesome, right? If there was 90% of people saying this could be awesome, then I'd say bring up the volume on the warnings. Okay, so, so let's, talk about, <laughs> let's talk about what does it look like to have a future where... We are connected to each other and to the machines through these extremely intimate interfaces with the most sensitive internal parts of our own bodies. And we're in the machine and the machine is in us. And 
It allows us to be inside one another. Like, I don't know if you, I, I know you, I know that you stopped reading fiction until you finished your, your book. I can still, I can read fiction that I already know and love. I can't but, read new fiction. Okay. Have you been watching Black Mirror? <laughs> yes. And okay. it's the only show, Westworld and Black Mirror are the only shows I've watched since Firefly. I've watched, that was what, 2005? Yeah. I've watched n- n- few episodes of Doctor Who. And I've watched a few episodes of Rick and Morty. Okay. I have to see it at your house if you say, like, come over and see this. It's so important. I don't watch TV. But, yes, I have seen all Black right. Mirror. Well, all we'll, of them. Well, I'll sit you down and binge all, all yeah. of Rick and Morty at some point. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so all three of those, actually, Rick and Morty, Black Mirror, and Westworld, all talk about the end of the age of advertisements. That's being, why I watched them, because people are like, like, this is just, important about what you talk yeah, about. Yeah, being just this thing about you don't need an advertisement anymore if you can get somebody to just want what you want them to want. Let's People talk, have been like, trying that from the beginning with different strategies. Right. So the question is, <laughs> what does the world look like in which people have this, you know, front door to your desire and they can just like walk into it and it's not a, or, or maybe I guess they can't is the deal, right? It's an immune system evolution issue. Well, let me, let's, let's go back. You were talking about, you know, the, the, the machine that's rubbing its hands together to get us this technology in the first place. Me and you both know people who helped develop the internet. And and from a large extent, they were not, in fact, people who had our subjugation in mind. I did a speech, like, the week before 2012 um, at a True Believers conference in Boston. And I said, just imagine your worst nightmare, right? The lizard people are having a meeting in their secret chalet I want to go. Layer in darkest Switzerland, and the Rothschilds are there, and Dick Cheney's there, and they're shitting their pants, these people. They didn't mean for us to get the internet. They sold us this shit. They thought it was going to be like a combination TV and video game console, but it's not in 2012, right? And it's certainly not now. The Facebook, you know, what social media is doing is it's amplifying cognitive bias. Yeah. Right. It's a cognitive bias amplifier, and we are very quickly, thank God, because we're first generation of having the internet, making the beginner's mistakes, and saying, "Oh shit, that's what happens when you have a cognitive bias amplifier." But it was never the machine rubbing its hands to get that. It's freaking Facebook just wanting to make more advertising dollars, and this is the emergent effect. Now no. they figured out how to use it. I'm not saying okay, that so is- Cambridge Analytica isn't using it, but they didn't create it. They just figured out how to use it. Facebook's getting that way because that's what just the algorithm that makes them more money. This is interesting because actually, you know, here we are talking about what we happens. Could use it. I feel like I'm. I just became aware of a, a critical blind spot in my own thinking on this because here we are talking about. Oh no! Like, what about the first people to upload? When really we are the first people we to are upload. Him. We it's are. It's just we outside are, of our body like, mostly. I was. I was in. And then we got a Fitbit. It's almost inside our body. Right. I was in. I was on instant <laughs> messenger in you know in high school. So like I'm aware of this stuff, uh, but it, it shows up around puberty for me. It's like adulthood for you. Mm-hmm. And so we would expect that people alive today have a completely distorted view of the potentials of these technologies because we're we're suffering disproportionately due to their appearance right now. Right. Like. Somebody was publishing recently on how when you look at the beginning of agriculture, or at least oh. what we consider mm-hmm. agriculture, not wildcrafting, not like with no, the no, aboriginal we're, we're gonna actually, yeah, yeah. but like the, you know, Western agriculture, Fertile Crescent shit, that for hundreds of years after that emerges in the archaeological record, 
people are not having a good time. Like the the animals and the human beings are the bones are like clearly suffering oh, from malnutrition. Now you're working twelve hours a day. Yeah, it's horrible compared to what came before it. And then <laughs> eventually we like. But there was still... We can support more people. There's way. still like a thermodynamic necessity for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Like it was still this thing where it seemed like it made sense. And I'm feeling, that, it up as I'm feeling that right now in my mm-hmm. life, applying for the job of my dreams only to get it at, at the same time that I'm like learning I'm going to be a dad. You know? So, and <laughs> suddenly realizing what that means and like having to cross country and like, you know, leave the Eden of Austin, Texas and like go wander into the deserts of New Mexico with, uh, you know, this like very nativity scene, 98% occupancy type situation. And I'm sitting here thinking, Oh, I see what you mean. There's no room at the end. Yeah. I was like, Oh, well, this is, this is all very inevitable and necessary and destined and true. And yet at the same time, it's hard, you know, and it is like, this kid's not even here yet. And the whole situation is, is just like the necessity of it. Has changed your perceptions about the future? Only insofar as I feel that I have in various visionary experiences over the years, felt that I had had communications with an entity that I would have. And I've talked about this on the show, actually. I talked about this with Michelangelo in episode 27. I had experiences where I felt like my future child was communicating with me. I know we've talked about it five years ago, And like, you know, sort of drawing me into the strange attractor of Mm -hmm. its timeline, the timeline where this child exists, you know, and being like, come on, you know, you want this. And that's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of uh, the unwritten chapter of my book about how the future is cute and playful. Yeah, and how that's what I'm saying. Playfulness manipulates us. And, and like, it's it's not necessarily malicious. No, no. But it is, it is manipulative. Types, right? Yeah. Like, it is, there is this thing about the, the cat and how the cat becomes cute. The, the roles have switched. And, like, this thing that we used to develop a religious obsession with as we watched it tear apart our brothers and sisters and parents or whatever is now the house pet. And so we still have this thing about like this magical fascination with cats, right. you know, because they're the predator. But right. but who's you know, subjugated who, man? Those guys on us. Yeah, but they're, they're <laughs> they in some way they still are you know in charge, and there's that whole sure. thing, you know. So and then this and the same I'm sure is you know that's the same emerges in the evolutionary psych arguments about parent-child dynamics, and you know and. You know, sleep-deprived parents talk about how they understand how animals can eat their children. I'm not there yet, but... But but cynicism is what I'm I'm saying. Like, does it make you more inclined to be like, okay, I've got to find a way to believe the future's going to be okay? Or does it make you more inclined to be anxious because I can't necessarily protect this thing? Well, I mean, for what it's worth, I do think that optimism... I keep running into this over and over again. People... Like Mark Nelson, when Mark Nelson, the CEO of the Institute of Ecotechnics, oh, okay. was one of the eight people that lived inside Biosphere 2 when it was a closed Is that system. one of the Mars It was the, the one in, basically, yeah. it was it was billed as a test colony, right? but it was really so much more than that. Um, but at any rate, he's like, optimism is actually a yoga, and despair is basically like a form of sloth. That it, it, despair is, is, it's like heart failure or one of these other symptoms where you're not, you know, it's because you're not exercising the organ of right. your optimism that, you know, your body just decides that you're done and it's time to give up. What I say is I'm just a coward. I tried despair and I can't do it. Like, I can't take that shit. 
in order to go forward and not want to kill myself, like I have to believe that it's going to get more awesome. I need to find some way to justify that proposition. Like I can't sit and I guess we're just screwed then. I tried. Yeah, by the fruits. <laughs> by the fruits shall you know them, right? I don't know that I mean... despair in people seems to lend itself, you know, despair as an aesthetic decision, you know, or despair as like a philosophical disposition. Let's sit around cafes in Paris and... Right, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to decide that everything is fucked. But if you have a kid, you kind of can't. The philosophers that I have been trying to communicate with that occupy those spaces, the ones that I find so dark that it's a guilty pleasure... Right. You know, it turns out... It's like bad porn. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I don't even know Ooh, why I like They're not this, happy like, people. They're yeah. not They're not friendly people. <laughs> you know, right. they're, they're, they're sad and, and, and strange. And, you know, I don't know that... Well, I, you know, I think I've said many times on the show that as a depressive person myself, that I will always defend that the social superorganism has a role for depressive loner weirdos. And oh, that, absolutely. You know, that the perimeter is an important... Uh, it has a role for I'm just like to, I'm going to go out and fight mammoths and I'm not too concerned about my personal survival like all of those types need to be here or we wouldn't have made it but right. 20% of a tribe needs to have the shamanic genotype or whatever so if you and your apprentice 20% get, it's pretty high no I know but well okay like if we had to, if, if one out of five people oh fuck maybe one out of five people no, 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 I it wasn't know 20% it was like shamans. one in 20 it was like one in 25 okay. so if you have Dunbar's number right if you have a group of say you know 150 before a tribe splits into yeah. two tribes. You know, if, if the shaman and their apprentice both get wiped out, you know, somebody else can come up and do the thing. You know, maybe like one in 25 need to have the basic predisposition, but there has to be people who have the basic disposition to be bruisers or like loners or somebody who comes up with new ideas. With a group of 150 <laughs> people and like six people are team shamanic agenda right. sure. you know right. like they're, they're agenda. the ones they're the, the six of your friends that you can trust to just be like look i don't know but you do so anything right. that you put in me is good uh, i'm right. fine with that i trust you completely um <laughs> the other 145 of you back the fuck off uh, yes yeah. <laughs> actually know. i love you we're family yeah, um, yeah, yeah anyway we're getting off topic right, here. Right, wanna, go back, go back, go back. no this is great. how's it gonna be you say it's, how's it's it gonna just, be when we make nice it to the future to see you more than once I a know, year i know um all right how's it gonna be when we make it to the future i assume that we are already in a simulation so i mean like if you like your metaphor it's plausible right it's plausible um that we're already in a simulation because you know the numbers game how many if a simulation is possible yeah. at all how many of them must there be yeah. More than there would be real universes if, say, one in every gal every galaxy had one simulation. We can see 300 billion galaxies from here, so that's one real universe with 300 billion simulations in it. That's lowballing it. What are the odds, right? So, if it's possible at all, this is almost certainly got to be one. In which case, the question of can you have humor and irony and caritas and drama inside of a simulation has been answered for us well i think it sort of obviously we can we can have everything right. we have in here because obviously. this is already inside one but then there's a, i think that there's a question that people aren't asking about <laughs> the whole simulation argument which what? i find really interesting that neither the people in support or uh, you know critical of it are asking what is a simulation well this like is if, reality in the sense that reality is the word we made up in here to mean this right and it's that 
Well, you know, because I'm reading my, my buddy Alex Feldman, shout out to, to Alex. He got me to read, uh, and I'm in the middle of reading Tad Williams' Otherland, which from the oh, 90s, it's this massive, it's like the even the first book is like over 800 pages or it's it's ridiculous, but it's 1996 looking at the middle of the 21st century and how far we've come with virtual reality mm-hmm. and how things go, uh, you know, they cross the digital divide, you know, and things that happen in the virtual space have actual consequences and all this stuff. And he was musing on the fact that we have the same brain that we had in many respects. We have the same brain that we had a million years ago. Right. You know? so the cherry on top so is recently that brain developed. was never, ever, ever preoccupied with whether or not something was real. The human brain is utter shit at determining the difference between real and unreal. And the fact that we even have these categories is itself kind of strange. So I like, don't know if that's true, though. Like, if you, it, you, they dreamed already a million years ago. In many cases, they were taking some kind of psychedelic, whether it was mushrooms in Africa or if it was, you know, ayahuasca or something we've not yet rediscovered. So if they were dreaming, if they were taking psychedelics, it's always, you know, it's better for a mammal to have a quick guess than a good guess. So we heard a rustling up there and we looked up and saw a snake. Oh, no, is that a snake? You act like it's real first. And then, oh, it turned out not to be. Okay. Well, no, but there's, there's a, it's, it's not that it's, <laughs> is it real or not? It's you assume a subject. And we know that that's a cognitive bias. Like the, the assumption, like the anthropomorphization of things, the, the personalization of an impersonal environment. Um, but of course, you know, the modern world's erred the other way, right? We've, we've erred on depersonalizing and everything and, and unminding minded things. But it's more like, it's not what is the snake real you know it's not is it a replicant this like blade runner issue of okay, like, no, and i see what you're saying but what again quote what unquote, is the what is what what is real so you say oh there's no such thing as a false experience that was actually an experience right yeah so was that a real experience yes it was a real experience does it correlate to some assumed objective reality that we're sharing out there in some cases we need to know the answer if you lived in a virtual reality most of the time, say you died here and, you know, had been a thousand years of their time uploaded, you're no longer needing to know the answer of, of this happening in, in a presumed original three space. That's not even a question to you. But what, except, except that, like, maybe Four it space. matters if there's, like, a supernova and, the, you know, the gamma explosion from the supernova wipes out the servers that you're stored on. Like, I, I still feel like... Sure. That there is a sense, and that in which... could happen to this entire simulation any freaking time, and we would never know what hit us. Okay. Well, I mean, but but that's the thing, right? Is that I guess <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is like there's nothing is, we can is, do about is, that. Is Just real, like if it was a is real, even there's nothing we could do about a supernova way over there yet. We're not. Oh God, I love Greg Egan. You know that. Yeah, but there's, the, but there's the no, diaspora. There's, that book. Yeah, I love diaspora, but there's no get if it's coming for us right now. There's nothing we can do. Just like if we were in a computer somewhere. Well, I mean, if it's like a flesh melter, there's nothing we can do. But if it's just a power surge, <laughs> get underground issue, for a few days. Then, yeah, I mean, sure. it would be nice. Let's it would be just, nice let's to have. Let's hope that whoever is out there operating the thing will 
protect whatever we're running on if something like that happens. Right. But most of right. the time, that's not a. It won't matter to us. Is that real? That's just an irrelevant question. Okay, so I want to I want to move from the okay. real yeah. unreal question, like is that even a, a valid thing, to this other consideration, which is more a matter of the heart, which okay. I have been sitting with lately, and you just brought up. Yeah. You just brought it up, which is, I. I'm constantly zooming out to realize how dependent my existence is on, let's call it the plumbing. Uh-huh. The plumbing and the plumbers, right? Or like mom and dad. Whichever way you want to talk about it, it's what, me. however independent you think you are, there are all of these other beings whose labor supports your existence. Like the, the microbiome, you know, right. all of the stuff that's like digesting your food for you right oh so we suddenly discover this you know in the last couple decades to and say nothing of the farmers themselves too of course there's also the farmers of course there's also the beasts of burden that they employ or you know right we uh, all depend on the rest of the web work most of it right but it's like to think of it as the web work is this kind of it's 3p it's like very objective and kind of clinical and there's something about, like, realizing that there's a, a stigmergy. That's a good word. Yeah, you know, like, the, the, you, you talked about the emergent factors earlier. That there's something about, like, it's a web work that we're all, we're all working toward it, and we're all sort of contributing to, it, you know, it's the co-occurrence. Or what mm-hmm. is it? In Buddhism, they talk about the, the co-arising. Yes, yeah, conditioned arising. Or yes, arising conditioned together. arising of phenomena. And there's a subject in that. Or rather, there are like countless subjects, and that it's like. Do you mean from whose point of view, or? I, I guess what I'm suggesting is that there's a moral alignment to the, like to the aesthetic of appreciating that we are like. Maybe it's, then it's, it's, like, it's our moral duty it's to get adaptive. our freaking weight off of that system. Yeah, it's adaptive like, to be grateful, I guess is what right. I'm saying. Gratitude yeah. would be to get our freaking weight off of that system. And when it, whenever it is possible, either move to L5s or to move into the virtual so that we're not freaking pulling resources from, you know, sure, we still are. We're using some solar energy or whatever that we're being stored on, but we're not. If we mean to live forever or for a long time or if we mean to double our population again or whatever, we need to stop stressing the system, the placenta of this thing, and as soon as possible, move offload our consciousness to something that is not necessarily sucking the resources of all those other organisms, or it is doing so less. But I mean, is that is that a healthy way to look at it? Like that versus what? Versus versus. Let's stay like, here and keep sucking on the nipple of Gaia, like. Well, no, I mean, no, just that that whole <laughs> idea that this is a. That you know, first of all, that this is a placenta, which suggests a kind of like gnostic, but metaphorically, birthing so. process in right. which you know we crack the egg and then. You I know, mean, I believe is a this, big word, but that's how I look of at it. Consciousness behind, sure. you know, it, it, it's very much in in keeping with that sort of hermetic evolution of you know, like you, you, uh, you know, which you have you have an alternative perspective or like. Well, I just I just think that I mean, take into take in. Um, as a value unto itself, that that is, I think, the spiritual expression of a path like toxic masculinity in a sense. And this to me, is a it feels thing super feminine. Like, don't you know? Like, it's, it's it's let's move into this, you know, the mysterious mama matrix or whatever. Versus, like, let's just keep using resources here. Like, 
what what toxic masculinity in what way? I well, I just mean like it. the escape fetish, you know, like okay, so like Rudolf Steiner talks about Lucifer and Aramon, right? Uh-huh. Like his his devil is. Well, Lucifer's the hero. Like this is, is the light bringer. This is the. Well, that's just it, right? Is that you've got on the one hand you've got this force of of evolutionary emergence, right. and it's moving from the many to the one. You know, it's moving into that Tehard de Chardin Omega point, and it's concerned about wrapping everything back up into, you know, its embrace and uniting everything. And it is, in some sense, the religious impulse, right? It is weaving it all back together. And yet, at the same time, it is also very, like, if you look at, like, Satanists, like, the, the church is, Satan is very, in a way, very morally upright, you know, very concerned with the integrity of the agent and the author of the life and you know uh, you yourself are con- the, you know, the theoretical cons- creator yeah. well yeah no just consent and agency and choice and moral self-determination but, but, and, i mean a baby never has to be brought into this world you know in a certain or maybe your baby did but like most people don't feel like they did like where's the consent start but then the then Aramon, yeah it, well that's that's a that's a great point right um but you're like we're, we're, we're creating a conversation pretzel here. So, <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Um, then the, you know, in Steiner's view of things, Aramon, the opposite force, is from the, the one to the many. It's the decay and the breakdown of things. It's the mechanization of society. It's the, the reduction of the human being to data. It's, you know, all of that shit. And these two things obviously co-occur and co-create one another, um, and form some sort of roiling double toroid of historical. I see what you're saying. Momentum. That things occur in the presence of their opposite or whatever. Right. That so condition. yeah, exactly. The enantiodromia of the situation. It's a good is word that, too. Yeah, that it, it actually doesn't shock me at all to to learn that the kind of escape future forward situation that you're talking about here, you know, escaping into the matrix, I frequently see expressed as some sort of like adolescent techno bonerist fantasy in the singularity crowd you know that it's like it's the same and that these things create their opposites in each other and then they exist in each other right you never the yin yang symbol the important part is the little circle i mean it's all an important part but it's it's the line between them it's the fact that you know the opposite always has to be intrinsically part of the center of the other side of the thing and I think that I mean this is partly why I think that this universe is art in the first place like from my perspective I genuinely believe that this is art and partly because it works anyway you hold it so you hold it this way it's a epic adventure story and you hold it this way and it's romantic comedy and you hold it this way and it's a tragic farce and the fact that it works no matter how you hold it is part of why you're like, wow, this is amazing art. It continue. You think how far can it continue down this line, and still be like that? And it's like so far, it just keeps getting more like that. You know, if you're in the mode to look at this whole thing as, you know, hopelessly fucked, that's there for you. You know, if you're in a mode to look at this thing as the most epic possible, like birth story and origin of a god you know i mean we are we this is this is how baby gods grow up right if you say your children are god but like most people act like we're pets of god or toys of god the child of a sheep grows up to be a sheep 
right? The child of a human being grows up to be a human being. So in theory, what does a child of God grow up to be? We are about to become creators of worlds. May we be wise and loving gods. But I feel very confident that this is, this is that. This is how a baby God grows up. We are about to start creating worlds. Okay, so this is actually, this is perfect, because this is, I was just talking about this with Weird Studies, which <laughs> I don't know if you listen uh, to that podcast. I just like the but, name of it. Uh, Phil Ford and J.F. Martell are, are wonderful guys. And Salute. Yeah, they, they, they've done episodes on Phil Dick. They did it. I love, I er, love Eric Phil Davis Dick. was their first guest on the show. God, I love it. Eric Davis yeah. and me go way back. Like, so, we're actually buddies. We used to do... Have a psychedelics club in the nineties. I, I need to be asking you for stories too. <laughs> oh no! Like the like we had the last Saturdays club where it was like the last Saturday of every month for me and Eric Davis and Mark Pesci and like like in the nineties. I uh, we go yeah, go way back. Salute so, to those guys. So they were talking about <laughs> um, this whole the, the the issue of turning into gods, right? Uh-huh. Is that uh, when Jafar gets his wish and becomes the genie, then he's stuck in the lamp. And it's, I only know the Disney version of that. Exactly, right? But that's the that's the that's the way that the, they trick him into attaining right. his well, genie wishes are always fast cosmic power, itty bitty tiny little space, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so well, again, who cares, right? If you're in the bottle, but if inside of it, from your perspective, you can make a whole other universe. Maybe we may be in a bottle, in fact. But that's not your point. Well, no, but that is the point. That is the point because the question is like, if you could do, if you can do anything, it's like Minecraft, right? right? We're we're testing this right now. If you can do anything, but I mean, I guess that's what determines whether it's a simulation or not. Is like <laughs> how how much control do you think you have? Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm my look. My subjective experience of manifestation is deeply striking. It's the kind of thing that makes you that that it would incline someone less skeptical to believe that they must be the protagonist of the situation. Okay, I want I, this is a <laughs> this is a great place to dogleg into uh-huh. something that we did not even remotely touch on the secret private recording. Uh-huh. <laughs> El Uno. It's which there is, for you as Patreon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the way, as, as soon as you upload yourself, there won't be ads. Uh, oh no, no, well, that was just one of, this is important. You'll just you'll just want to hear no, it. What you're saying is super super important, which is that if we upload ourselves into Facebook's universe, there damn well be ads. There'll be low-glow in our freaking minds. This is why it's so important for the programming... Logo, by the way, is not a, a neologism. That's actually from Neil Stevenson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're walking yeah. down the street and you just see logos like appear in your brain because it's just flashing into your... Right? If, we, if, if the universe that we're uploading ourselves to is freaking Facebook's universe, just because they got there first and it was free... You know, instead of paying five bucks a month to go to the awesome universe, everybody's going to the universe that's free because you're the freaking product, and then then there will be ads. But if we well, not everybody has money to pay <laughs> no, for no, no. A, a quality. High, no, but you know. the thing is, is if enough people are signed onto the thing, it should be free. If everybody paid, this is J- Jaron Lanier's point, which is like if if everybody pays five bucks to be on the social network, 
It can run without ads. And then it is not a cognitive bias enhancer, right? It wouldn't cost that freaky much for them to still be making money, not billions, but enough to keep their company running and have nice condos, right? And three, so... Three, three billion people on Facebook. If everybody on Facebook gave them five bucks... It's, it's plenty to once, keep their freaking servers in, running. A once-in-a-lifetime right? once, fee, you know? Once. You know, the, it, let's just say that it costs... Dollars? I don't know what... You know, as much as Netflix or something, still... It would be plenty to keep their servers running and to keep the people who are running it, in, you know, in nice condos with hot tubs. And we wouldn't have to be subject to that kind of manipulation. Like I said, it's not the machine rubbing its hands together. It's the algorithm that's just Facebook naturally putting the things that gets clicked on the most, right? Kim Stanley Robinson said this <laughs> in a panel that was, I guess, sponsored or, or pr at least promoted by Long Now foundation earlier this week it was the, him and annalee lewis and hanu rajaniemi who's i was like three of my favorite sci-fi authors and it was awesome and i posted the i like spider robinson but kim stanley robinson that's green mars red mars yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. he did the mars trilogy and and kim stanley <laughs> robinson was saying in there uh that profit is the problem like the idea of profit is the problem and that it's an algorithm that's just your profit is somebody else's labor, which is like the dark flip side of the whole like uh, gratitude co-arising thing that we were just discussing. But oh, pop, pop, you know, you know, the uh, GEB like pop and push. OK, two conversations. About yeah. Pop, pop, what were you saying? Yeah. But let's pop back to um, <laughs> what we didn't talk about at all. in the last one was this issue of manifestation <laughs> and the, uh, you know, the uh, the sort of ontology of the universe disclosed by these experiences, right? He's like, because we've talked about synchronicity on the show before, mm -hmm. for sure, uh, many, many times. Look, yes, cognitive bias, okay? Yes, there's going to be, uh, what's the thing where you you see what you expect to see? If you're already have ecstasy, to see what you expect to see. Um, confirmation bias. Right. Right. That said... Wow. You know when a, an event is on and you can feel it and everything snaps together like magnets and you're looking for your friend and they run right into you and you it there's a thing that happens. People know when like I was so in the flow, right? And if we could figure out what that thing is and amplify it, it would be a bigger deal than figuring out that those lights are other suns from our perspective, as far as an obvious thing that's been staring us in the face, right? I'm not saying that I understand how it works. I don't I can see that why it would seem like it does from my perspective, right? And I wouldn't be willing to bet my children's health, say, that there's anything to the idea that, you know, your thoughts reflect in the ex apparently exterior world. But I would bet all the money I'm about to make in the next 10 years, right? So like, how much do you believe it? I'd bet 100 bucks, but not 1,000 bucks, right? I'd bet all the money I'm going to make in the next 10 years. I wouldn't bet my children's health on it. Do you know, do you know Adam Curry? Uh -uh. Of the, he was of the Global Consciousness Project. <laughs> he was like one of the last students at the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab, I think. Um, and then he went on. They were doing this. The Global Consciousness Project did that grid of random number generators all over the planet. And then oh, and then certain Measuring disturbances in the forest, basically. It's, what it, it's a very bizarre... It seems like they found... Some, I know, uh, so, I think well, Naropa did it too, like the Heart Institute did it. Or? Yeah, yeah, well, you're, t you're talking Different about ones. heart math. Yeah, yeah. heart math. So, um, 
yeah, they're, they're looking at like field coherence and you know sudden emergent integrity and. In, so in, what like, experiments could be done? Sets. Is the question to demonstrate proves well, a big so, word, but to so demonstrate. Adam Curry did this thing where he and I I interviewed him years ago about this for Reality Sandwich before this podcast even existed, and I don't know what happened to this app. Adam, if you're listening to this. Uh, Let but, him know. But it was the consciousness app, and it's it uses a random number generator in your phone. How random? It's not got a freaking decaying. It's not. It well, takes okay. the infinitesimal of the time it's, when you it's, or something. Okay, so it's und, It's it's not based on atomic <laughs> decay. It, it is algorithmic. If it's, it's just not, random it's and not, you couldn't predict it. Basically, yeah, it's unpredictable. <laughs> uh, what you would call mathematical pseudo randomness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's deterministic. But, right, but what's it doing? But. All, you, all it's doing is spitting out a number that you're not, you, you know, you're not... Right, the nth decimal of the time when you push the button or whatever. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a coin flip, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, So the idea was everybody who downloaded this app would be running a pocket coin flipper, basically, and then you would be able to use that permissioned data from every single phone to create a real-time luck map. Because you start seeing where, like the Global Consciousness Project looked what at What is considered good luck? If these, heads are good luck? Well, hold on. The Global Consciousness Project did this deal where they looked at the, you know, the spikes of... You could tell cohesion, where this group's cohesion, all getting the right, same where thing. Where suddenly it's, it's like it's good 20 luck. heads in a row. Right, right sure, sure, sure. Um, right, there's an anomalous, that's the global there's scale. Anomalous, uh, that's the global scale. And, and, and if said, the universe, there'd be one universe that's doing that. If every version just happens, then there's one in which they all came up heads, right? Right. But he's saying that... The idea was if we could basically carpet the landscape in enough random number generators and monitor them in real time, then we could start to tease out geographic, almost like a like a weather map of where there are deviations from the random number sequence that we expect. And that it's been my experience that the kind of magical flow that you're talking about here, this, the, the, the manifestation vein, is that it's almost like a, it's a physical property. I mean, mm. this is completely anecdotal and totally not rigorous, but it's like, it's like a different state of life. Like, normally you occupy this But you find it to be psychedelically, life. like, sensitive, like, what I do, if you don't know who I am, is I write about psychedelics for Airwood. Um, and I, my personal experience of it is that it's amplified when you have more, let's call it bandwidth. When you're paying more attention? When you're paying more attention. So probably, you know, it's working if you're meditating a lot, if you're dancing a lot, if you're falling in love, right? Your heart chakras open more. If you're, I mean, I don't know from chakras, but you know that feeling. And if you're certain things, it's like, oh, the timing with this. You know, people talk about oh, acid timing or whatever. The phones ring exactly when. And my personal experience, for instance, with um, have you ever tried five meo DMT? Mm. That's the one to me. Like, if I could only do one drug for the rest of my life, and I tell you from my perspective, it's like I have all the bandwidth, all of it, for just a second. The problem is, if you hit the center of the target, you forget what you wanted. You forget your intention. <laughs> so you got to slingshot around the motherfucker. Or you've got to be, you know, don't fall all the way in. Right? You know, in Star Trek, they slingshot around the sun. To, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Well, or I mean, you've got to, or you've got to, yeah. to accelerate your Right, because if you fall yeah. on the gravity well, you forget. Or 
you've got to remember what you want because it falls off asymptotically from the center, like real fast. So you've got to remember what you want on the way in and pick it up as soon as you can on the way out or you've got to slingshot around it. Or I had a magical partner that we would get really, find some way to get really in train. There's a bunch of potential strategies, i tell you the one I like. but <laughs> And one of us could go all the way out and hit the center of the target. The other one remembers what we want. And so as a, you know, in one decent entity between us, freaking, you know, we'd go to... What I thought it was, was happening is we'd end up in the version in which if there's, you know, a multiverse in which, you know, every possible variation that the math hangs together is quote-unquote happening, right? And we could only move downhill in the sense that we could only move entropyward. And we could only move into consecutive frames. But... You know, in some version, if you picture a library of Babel, you know, the Borges story, like, you know, it's, it's library of Babel. There's actually an app now or there's a computer program that has the idea of like every single possible, um, every variation of all the letters in a book. It's like in a large enough set, there's some version in which you walk out there on the playa and a taco just falls into your hand. Some of them are very nearby. They're just freaking five minutes away in which that happens. And so I'm going towards versions in which that happens. There's a lot of them. There's potentially a transfinite number of versions in which that happens. Now, the question to me is, am I dragging y'all with me? Are we all pulling the same instance? Or is this my registered copy? And I'm freaking moving towards versions in which, and maybe you're not, you could be going towards worlds with nuclear war, and I'm not, even though we're having this conversation and we're freaking passing through each other. And there'll be some version of me and yours. And there'll be some version of you and mine. Now, does that suggest that y'all's philosophical zombies will politess and, <laughs> and, and, and reasonable, you know, what it seems like? We have to treat you as if you're also a person in my something like my same predicament right but when you call for something that requires a cast of thousands to be on their mark it's difficult to imagine a situation where everyone is doing that like I must be you know doing exactly the right things for your wishes to come true Mm. So, okay, so <laughs> how do you choose the wish? Because this is the thing, right? Um, so I don't think it's genius. If Trixie. it is a cast of thousands right. organized, then it's actually more parsimonious to suggest that you are an unwitting member of the conspiracy just like everyone else. And that. Well, or that we're all one entity and we're all right, Hydra heads right, on. Right. But that your wish is like automatic it's a reflex it's like you didn't it's like you just happen to be the one that would wish that thing uh due to the this particular biography right and so you're as weird as the taco that falls into your hand <laughs> right, right, right. you know like it's like who would wish for a taco to just fall into their hand actually a lot of us even people who don't do this and they come back from something like burning man and they say there was a phenomenon there i'd wake up and I'm thinking about this one kind of soda that only comes from Australia. And, like, I go out and right there on the corner, somebody's like, hey, do you want one of these? And I was like, wow, you hear those stories 
all the time there from people yeah. who don't talk about this, who've never heard the word manifestation. And like, do you know there was this weird thing that happened, right? And I, I, the way that you're saying it, the way I think of that is that it's determined and there's loops in it. So this is a piece of art. And the way you see it is down here looking through your eyes. And you're going to deliberate and you're going to decide what you want to manifest and you're going to wish for the thing that was going to happen anyway because it's a piece of art and that's how it looks. And you, you, yeah, From our point of view, it doesn't matter. From our point of view, yeah. we have to act like... It's like the thing of don't tell people they don't have free will, right? Like, sure, it may be determined. but And we can have compassion for people who are going to fuck that up from the beginning of the universe, right? But from our point of view, we deliberate. We make choices. We have to move forward as if that is legitimate because it's the same to us as if it is. It's the same to us. As if we're actively making choices. Well, I mean, and it could in, go a different way, right? But entire, I said in a well, multiverse, it could go a different way. Because... If I think that my wish led to, I mean, you get into this, like you fall into the solipsism, right? Like mm. if I think that my wish is like what coordinated that I'm like the powerful magician that got, you know, all of these people to deliver me this Australian soft drink, then I'm an asshole. Well, right. No, you, know? so you, you, you pull a test and, and you can't act like that's the case, right? But experientially, it's the same as if it is, right? And so how do you choose your wish? I mean, what are you playing for, right? I have a little thing on my altar here that says, what are you playing for? Because it, it, metaphors, it's not any of the metaphors. Metaphors are things, it's like a thing that occurs in here, right? It's a school, it's a test, it's a trap, it's a prison. Most people think it's a school. Why did that happen to me? So I would learn something, right? I think of it as a massively multiplayer game and a collective work of art because that metaphor is more fertile, flexible, aesthetically satisfying, effective for me for most applications than suggesting it's a trap or a prison or a school. I mean, sometimes it's useful to look at the world as if it's a battle between good and evil. I wouldn't want to live there, right? So it's good to have that lens, take that lens out, you know, and put it back in your pocket. I think of it as a massively multiplayer game. So what are you playing for? The most awesome games, you get to choose what you're playing for. So you can play for most toys. You could play for most offspring. You could play for seeing the most of the map you can see. You know, And so what I'm playing for is most awesome for the most players for the longest. So when I don't know which thing to choose, which one goes for most awesome for most players for the longest. But if not being given the honor of sacrificing myself for, you know, all of Australia or something, I'm playing for most hits in my memories. And this is what has replaced it. Again, I don't capital believe it, but I don't disbelieve it. And what I'm, it's what's replaced this idea of God to me. Like, you know, you want to feel like somebody's watching. And you're getting credit for the stuff that's not being seen somehow. And so I do shit for my fans on the Cosmic Periscope. Right? It's in my Stardance fantasy. Like, we're all going to get to share our memories someday. Whether or not it's true, if you play as if, you're going to one day get to share all of your memories. Like, if you knew that at the end of your <laughs> life, your brain would be eaten by something that would then, like, in Annihilation or whatever, it would, like 
take your memory into itself and remember being you, you know? How would that change the way you live? Right. No, exactly. So what, you know, if you knew that everything is being constantly uploaded, right? If, if as above, so to below, I think it's becoming more self-similar. The universe is becoming more like it, physically like it is. I don't know if energetically Gross. is the right... You, <laughs> you. No, I know. But it's it, it's becoming more like it is in a sense. And so it's... The, you know, computers are starting to, you know, mirror the thing more closely. And so, you know that Alice actually, like, the brain is a reducing valve? I prefer your brain as, like, your desktop computer. It's not the internet. Right? It's reaching out there. And it's, it's selecting from the superabundance the piece of information that, in fact, is actually useful to you or that you're calling here for right now. And some of the data is being stored locally. And, you know, every time you bring this memory up, you edit it, right? And that's being stored on your hard drive. But if everything you experience is actually going into the cloud, right? I don't know if you've ever done a BOGO like I have again. Mm. Oh, my God! But you, but you wrote a really good piece on yeah, it. Yeah, no, there's, if you look up T-Fairy Hard Reset, uh, you'll find it. But, like, every freaking thing, that's, it's like the real memory, not the memory that I've edited every time I brought it up. Oh, shit, this is what actually happened. I forgot, right? And like it's happening now, not like I remember five minutes ago. Like this is. So. The Russians talked about that in the Cold War. Really? Yeah, they, Ibogaine? Well, no, not about Ibogaine, but they talked about consciousness being an electromagnetic phenomenon. And they took a completely different scientific trajectory in the 20th century, and they studied um, the possibility... Like, they were convinced that the Earth's magnetic fields were like a carrier wave, and that memories were being stored in the magnetic fields of our planet. Mm. Uh, at least some of them were. I mean, I don't understand how that medium would work, but I don't know that it wouldn't work, right? Mm. I guess it's, it, I don't think that if this is a simulation, say, we wouldn't see the medium it's being stored on in here. Just like if you're in World of Warcraft, you wouldn't see the servers that it's on, right? But nevertheless, again, as if, if as above, so below, to some degree, I, I think that a lot of it's going up into the cloud. Not, not what's being stored on your local hard drive, but... Any program that doesn't suck now practically is up, you know, so you don't lose those pictures. It's just automatically uploading to them to the cloud. So I'm playing for most awesome for most players for the longest. But I like, I play for my audience on the Cosmic Periscope. Right? I got a lot of followers on the Cosmic Periscope in my world. And they are, you know, when I do something and I'm proud of it and nobody saw that, yeah, you know, salute freaking my audience and it makes you want to live elegantly when you're not being watched so <laughs> we're, we're we're back ending into the way that we started the first conversation that we had for the show which was so you were actually one of the major inspirations for this show yeah because of this idea this idea of the uh, cosmic periscope yeah, yeah. this idea like that we are future fossils that we are being transformed by our consideration oh, of living in light of the knowledge that the future is watching if I can we make trace it to, to the future right i can trace it to you and i can uh -huh. trace it to arthur c Clarke's last novel which he wrote with the badass science fiction author steve baxter the light of other days mm, which is about how we can't travel through time we can't travel our bodies through time it turns out because 
the wormhole is only big enough to right, admit mass like stuff. photons yeah. at a time. But information ought to be right. teleportable. But we can still look into the past. Mm. And simply looking into the past is enough to completely transform everything about human society. And oh, uh, that Arthur C. Clarke, actually. Did you read Childhood's End? So good. It was like the first story Nancy wanted to me. But like when the aliens and that, like give the historical society a gift that makes them able to see anything that happened in the past and like all religions fall within a generation yeah so he took the same idea he took the same idea and explored it in more depth (laughs) in this last book where you know it turns out oh you know jesus was the bastard son of a roman soldier etc and every race realizes that they were you know the persecutors of the genocide of some other race at one point. And everybody, everybody is the product of yeah. billions of years of caveman rape and right. Everybody, everybody has a super everybody. apology and grief session. Yeah, can we just start over? Can we start yeah. over? Like it's been hard. It was hard to evolve to here. Can and we then, just have one? Can we just give everybody a start over? And then we use the photon wormholes <laughs> to uh, connect our brains, yeah. and then suddenly you know we're able to create a light web of brain-to-brain direct communication, and we're able to share each other's experiences and then a new I think it really is like the thesis for Arthur C. Clarke's The Star Child that he posits in 2001 Uh, he comes uh, back uh, around uh, and he uh. he talks about a new humanity that is a single agent like a single individual I think that's probably what the adult form looks like you know, I think that this is partly, like I said, this is how a baby God grows up. So I think that this is the juvenile it, it moves from singularity through multiplicity to a higher order singularity yeah. And part of how it becomes a higher order singularity is through the process of multiplicity. Well, it's like cell difference. Because it has to push off of itself. Otherwise, it's just yeah. floating there like, oh, there's no evolution without friction. And so in order for the thing to... Oh, God, CRISPR. You know, this one's really important. I don't think I said this one to you. Maybe we talked about this last time. But In the like, discussion of God embryogenesis, no, 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 CRISPR so, is key. No, it is. It's so important, which is that we... I think this must happen on every planet in which life is a thing at all. Anything remotely like DNA, right? So drop a DNA on a planet. Let's just say it evolved there. Who cares, right? And it unfolds and eats each other and unfolds and finds a new niche. And, you know, we see polar bears and poplar trees because of the way that we are moving through time. But from DNA's perspective, it's never been anything but one entity, right? Because that's never anything but that freaking piece of DNA folding itself and complicating itself. And it has to, in order for evolution to proceed, it has to survival compete with winners and losers where only the winners breed. Mostly the winners breed, right? That's what winning is. Until it can intelligently upgrade its genome. At which point it makes more sense for speed of evolution's sake, for it to collapse into a singularity and start upgrading itself intelligently. But until it gets there, it has to winners and losers compete with survival as a factor in killing each other. And like every time it gets there, it must be freaking touching the bottom rung of the thing with its fingertips. And to get that freaking technology, it has to have been competing with losers die until it gets that, and that's the same point at which you could freaking wipe out the species. It's got to be a freaking coin flip every time it happens. How, how, cl- it's so close. It's just, oh, it's, it's a freaking such a close race between well, now, okay. survival and catastrophe, right? Well, so 
if I'm to understand you correctly, what you're, what you're saying you're following is, me. Yeah, what you're saying is that there comes a point where it actually becomes evolutionarily advantageous to intentionally increase the rate of potentially fatal mutations knowing that you have... That like, we already have potentially fatal that, mutations. That we have like reversibility... Uh, or like that when you have more editing power over the genome, that right. and like I said, the rich will get it first to make the beginners' mistakes yeah, that, and power that to you them. Can thank you for being our brave pioneers. The ability to edit Thanks the people. genome is going to move us out of a phase of competition for particular gene sets, precisely because it's like there's less consequence. Imagining or, DNA. Or, you know, the evolutionary impulse or whatever. Again, maybe this is a stretch, but imagining that as an intelligent, aware process. It's smarter for it to then start upgrading itself intelligently than to just still be going, say it has however long till the sun explodes, right? It's freaking slow motion to have it be random mutations is how it's upgrading itself. When it's intelligent enough to do it on purpose. And people immediately go to, like, Hitler and eugenics. Oh, what happens if we start improving ourselves on purpose? Look, you were about to have a baby. If you could make sure that it didn't have freaking Down syndrome or something, but just, would you do that? Of course you would. That's the David Pierce argument. Did what? we talk about that? I don't remember. Well, he, he was on Review the Future podcast. David Review Pierce the Future. Is, I mean, I'll give it a three he's, star. He's like the ethical transhumanist. <laughs> David Pierce uh, uh-huh. is the one, P-E-A. RCE. Okay. He's the one who wrote I've the anti-speciesist manifesto, where he's comparing the brain anatomy of like pigs and chickens and baby human beings and like. Oh yeah, I heard your thing about that. Yeah. So he, his he said in review the future that you've got to the, the the argument is exactly your argument that if you knew that there was there was an an edit that you could make to this unborn child that they would live a happier life. And you didn't do it, basically, you're a piece of shit. Well, and it's like, okay, but like it would give it an unfair advantage over other potential embryos. And it's like, yes, that's what we've been going for the entire time. You know, is giving your offspring theoretically an unfair advantage. We should all have an unfair advantage. Well, no, exactly. Which, again, would suck if the winners are going to kill the losers, right? But let's say the winners are not going to kill the losers. Let's say that the winners are just going to intelligently upgrade the next generation even better and pretty soon none of us get fucking cancer and all of us have perfect vision and all of us are smarter than now are we bright enough to like know the right direction and it's like oh we wanted to make everybody more mathematically intelligent and didn't give them better musical ability or something because we don't have the aesthetic sensibility to point the thing in a right direction well there ain't nobody to judge that but ourselves you know so we as parents who have had this long history of the human race to decide what we want our kid to have, we're going to make the best call that we can make, and we're not going to make a perfect call. And there'll be other parents who make different calls, and the ones that are thriving and happy and being like, oh, I'm like I want to be. I mean, sure, let's make them like however they want to be. It's all a complication, but like, would it be better to just stick with freaking random mutations you know, you're bringing up something for me, which I, 
I've, I've arguably have spent my entire life contemplating this this whole thing with the Frankenstein and Jurassic Park. <laughs> You know, this issue of tampering with nature. Right? Tampering with playing God. Well, look, yeah. that's, little so, kids have to play adult, right? Right, right. So, we, but, we all but play, so little kids play grown-ups. More, we have to play God. It's so much more complicated, um, <laughs> or nuanced, I should say. It's uh-huh. so much more nuanced than the way that people typically mm. discuss it. Because, again, it's this issue of, you know, like, we think of ourselves as tampering with nature and trying to play God precisely because we are wrong-sighted in our estimation that we're somehow like outside the system operating on it when in fact right that know, assumes that we're a player consciousness down in here playing a character consciousness not right. not a part of it we right. came out of it not into it right that we're not of the simulation right right and and so you know for me i th- i think like in a way i've been trying to exercise radical f- i call it faith you know yeah, no, trust in the process that even though this it is what faith like... means to me. I wrote in the temple at Burning Man. I will trust the process. This is what faith means: is the assumption that if I could see it from every point of view at once and I understood it, you know, the the intention of the simulators or whatever. I don't think it's Sky Santa. You know, it could be <laughs> planet-sized quantum computers working together. I don't think they're Sky worried about Krampus. <laughs> I don't think it's worried about what we're doing with our willies or anything like that. But like, if we could understand that mind, that we would find it aesthetically satisfying. Like, ultimately, aesthetically satisfying. If we got it, then we would be like, yes, that's what faith is to me. That it's, you know, the, the, the direction evolutionary, evolution is going in is ultimately aesthetically satisfying. If not to ourselves, then to something greater than ourselves. Either the thing to come, the it looking back. Yeah. You know, or, like, there's parts of it that are not. Do you know the Silmarillion? I haven't read it. Okay, okay. I know everyone gets caught up in the who begats in the beginning, you know, like in the beginning of the Bible, and they begat them, and they begat them, right? But it's the elvish creation myth from Lord of the Rings, and it's, in fact, what's happening in that world. And the god, you know, Iluvatar sort of creates the angels, you know, the iron or whatever, and propounds to them great themes of music, and then says, all right, now you guys are going to make music, and I will hearken to it. And they make music and sort of the element that becomes the Sauron Melkor element starts trying to cause a bunch of dissonance and pull the music over themselves and it ends in this big crashing cacophony and they come back before the throne of glory and they're like oh sorry we suck so much (laughs) and the god's like no 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 now see it as I have seen it from every point of view simultaneously and you will see that there was never a note out of place because how could that be? It was never anything but my, you know, white light shining through a prism in the first place. And so, you know, you're always going to get the whole spectrum of color. Right. God right? loves Rex. Right. Well, that's the whole thing. But, but, God but loves, see it as I've seen God it. And you'll crashes. say, and now let's instantiate it into 3D and go down in 4D or whatever. Let's go down and live it out. And that's what Lord of the Rings is. So why, you know, why is it the person's son who, re- because it's like a fugal thing. Right? Here's the music again, and a variation of the music again, yeah. and it's playing out the music of the iron in the well, first exactly, place. Exactly, exactly. Right? So, this so, yeah, from every point of view at once, I think that it's aesthetically satisfying. I think that it would be. Like, what is your favorite symphony or your favorite movies? Like, if you were eternal or very long-lived, you would be over universes that pulled punches really quickly. But, but you and I... This thing are, doesn't pull punches at all. You and I all. have both a highly cultivated taste for, like 
catastrophe. Well, because I think maybe, <laughs> of course, we would think this, but because we're closer to, you know, like closer I, to I, the aesthetics. I think of, about, you know, the. I'm not like, sick, though. I don't like to, I don't like horror movies. I don't like to see, like, you know, like I said, sick porn. I don't like stuff that's about, like, how fucked up it can be, right? But what is your favorite movies and symphonies, whatever? It's the, it's the thing that, oh, it built itself up and then it, oh, freaking crushed itself down into the muck. And then it built itself up again. Do you know, um, oh, God, Olaf Stapleton? Of course I know Olaf Stapleton. Oh, He's like my God. God. Freaking th- in the 30s. Killed it. Every was, single genre of science was, fiction just played it down and it stayed there. I was just telling my coworkers oh. at Santa Fe Institute oh. to look into radium age science fiction right. because the 1930s are totally under. Every freaking genre of science fiction occurs in Last and First Man. You know, the first sentient computer story with the brains. You know, the first... You know, uh, just name so, okay. all the things. No, just, no, but, uh, a, a bit, a bit of exposition. Okay, Olaf Stapleton, Last and First Man, oh, and Star Maker, Star Maker are two of the most influential works of science fiction ever written. So good. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke talked about it. Isaac Asimov talked about it. H.P. Lovecraft, as a contemporary, considered right. these works some of the most important works. Uh, well, know, and everybody was inspired by it. Who writes? People say, "Oh, Heinlein got the first. He read the stuff. You know, the first yeah. one of all these genres, right? Yeah. But so going back to the point, this was this is the best written thing I've ever seen about this viewpoint, which is like, oh, you know, it raises itself up and it's crushed back into the muck. It's like eighteen species of men. You know, the next one freaking eats it, and then another species arises out of that thing and evolves again, and then freaking eats it. You know, and it finally makes it to like. The nice, not generation, but like entire, like us to freaking Australopithecus or whatever. And from the point of view of the thing that can see everything that's ever happened in this universe, it finds that it is good. It finds that it is beautiful. And so it may not be beautiful from our one little camera angle. Oh, one little camera angle just had three kids and they died in a fire and they freaking died of cancer. And it's like, my faith is not that it's going to work out for me. My faith is that it's beautiful and that I'm part of a beautiful work of art. From, if not my perspective, then from the perspective that can see it out of every camera angle at once. And let's assume that that thing is in the future. We're all uploading ourselves. All of our memories are going into the cloud. And it can see them all. And from light's point of view, right? If you're a lighticle and you were created and let's say there was a big bang and you're going to, let's say, there's a black hole at the end of time. From the point of view of light, it got there in not even one plank length of space and time. Light got there instantly, and it took every path to get there. So from that thing's point of view, it's not even waiting for it. We watch light go 100,000 years across the sky, but from its point of view, it got there instantly, and it took every path to get there. So from the point of view of the mind I'm talking about, bam, it all happened. And it's fucking beautiful. It got him wetter, better well be. <laughs> I have to believe that it is. I choose to believe that it is because that's the thing that gets me up in the morning and being like, yeah, let's keep playing for this thing. It's not some fucked up universe that the goal is to get out of it. I've hated that. That's the thing I don't like about Buddhism. It's like, which I mostly love, which is, okay, we're trying to get out of this thing. And if I meditate properly, and if I don't have any fun, and if I follow the rules, this time when I die, 
I'm going to join the blissful singularity, and I'm not going to have to be a guy again. I'm just going to beat all the get through all well, the levels and beat the game. I'm the, just going to get through all the levels and beat the game, right? That's the second and third turn, though, right? Because that's, ter- <laughs> that's Theravada Buddhism versus Mahayana Buddhism. What's Mah- the big boat in there? My- Mahayana Buddhism says Nirvana <laughs> is not other than samsara. Right, that was the whole twist with Zen. Is that is that they were like, you're trying to get away from what exactly? I thought so. If you're seeing that as a massively multiplayer game, this is the I got through all the levels and beat the game. So I stopped creating karma, and like I got through all the levels of the thing, and I beat the game immediately. And it's like, okay, but can I have your extra lives if you're not going to eat that? Because I actually love this. I haven't seen all the Easter egg levels yet. I'm really, really into it. You just reminded me when I was a, a teenager. <laughs> I mean, that's legit. You can play for anything you want. You can play for go through all the levels and beat the game. Maybe there's a better game to be played out here. But that's yeah. Okay, I want to hear that. But like the yeah. other thing about it, about seeing it as a as a massively multiplayer game, is it centralizes you. So now you're the fucking customer. You who this is buying for and about. I wouldn't be here if this didn't get four stars in universes.com. If this is a game, it's made to amuse such as ourselves. So there was, there, right, when was you're a, a teenager. there was a bumper sticker um, <laughs> that my friend had on her car that I, I met this woman digging in a in a dinosaur quarry in Wyoming. What's your name for nameless litter? Corinne. Do, do, do. And yeah, Corinne, very cool woman. She was actually a uh, I guess I don't know what which which subdomain of Catholicism. It's like is it the Episcopals that let women be priests? I forget. Oh, the, I remember. The, it- but she was she was a, a priest and a, and a an amateur dinosaur enthusiast and when i got my jeep stuck in a creek the first summer that i took my my car out and used it as a field vehicle she was the one that hung out with me in the wilderness okay. and waited for the the tow <laughs> to, AAA. thank you AAA. it wasn't triple a it was, it was, it was yeah. robert bacher my okay. the, the, the lead paleontologist but she and I were the ones that decided we were going to hang out in the in the Wyoming Badlands and watch the sunset, you know? Be a cool, cool woman. Anyway, she said that she had a bumper sticker on her car that says, When the rapture happens, can I have your car? Well, and here's an interesting, another thing about people who potentially might upload themselves to bring this thing back around. So to whom will they, will their stuff in 3D, like there might be some kind of, deal where it's like you know the reason they worry about euthanasia being a problem is like potentially inheritees will be like why don't you go ahead and go for that rather than spending all of your money on the last you know month of your life in the hospital so we can have it right and if you could convince people like um my favorite dark mirror is san junipero of course because it's one of the only ones that doesn't have a sad ending in a way um yeah although the black museum talks about about san junipero's hospital and it's like that episode was like single-handedly enough to make me reconsider naming a potential daughter Juniper. Uh, I was like, mm, was that Juniper. the hospital where they were where they were getting Doing uploaded all the, from the brain experiments and mm. yeah, right, right, right. the the Googles, the dead souls but, uploaded but, into computers. So imagine, you know, yeah, that's server farm. But like, we're, we're let's convince these guys. Okay, you've got a month left to live. How about you pay all the money? You know, some amount of the money that you have towards will keep you going in this thing. And again, there'll be slick salesmen before it's good who are like, yeah, we'll put you on ice in our basically... Which is what the whole episode was about. Was the guy who was just as, it was his job to sell experimental uploading to medical right. and anomalies. And having seen it, yeah. it didn't suck, right? But yeah. like, the first version is going to be you're uploaded to AOL or something, right? You know, there's just little flashing, right? Speak, talking about the low glow or whoever's paying for this, right? Yeah. But who's going to inherit your 
car. Like, what do people have, you know, what do people have to gain by convincing people to just go ahead and go? Oh, I wrote a short story years ago. Well, that's the thing is, you got to <laughs> legally. This is the mess, you know. And now we're we're tearing into like this is a whole tab off this episode, right? But but like John C. Wright talked tabs. about this in the Golden <laughs> but, um, Age, this issue of duplicating yourself it, oh. through numinal recording, the recording of the soul. Oh, wow. You know, that's a good word. And uh, he, yeah, in his books, the machines figured it out. You know, they figured out how to copy a person's soul. And so then you get into these issues of priority with respect to multiple copies and who has legal rights to the stuff. It's, it's like, saying that they managed I'm, to copy themselves back out into a robot or something. It is a non-trivial issue. Yeah. Well, no, if they if they were able to push themselves back out into presumed reality and get even their if, stuff even again, even if you don't, even if, if you don't, what do you need with your stuff? If you're well, in that server for somewhere, well, you don't need anything with your stuff. Frankly, the whole San Junipero thing seems a little <laughs> unlikely to me. I think it's much more likely that people are going to be uploading themselves into robots that live in our world. Because... Just, I mean, not Gleisner-like, but say you have... Because you could yeah. look just like a freaking... What's that best Samantha or something at this point? There's robots, right? Yeah. Because, these robots. Yeah, because... I mean, and, 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 you know, to weave Annalie Newitz back into this in, in Autonomous, you know, she talks about the machines... Having this like God, you're augmented, right, that's probably first. augmented reality you're architecture, right, that's you know, and like all this beautiful stuff, like in uh, uh, was it Matsushi's or uh, Hyper Reality, that six minute video where she goes into the grocery store and AR has the grocery store looking all crazy, but then when it oh, glitches, I saw that. when yeah. it glitches, it's just like an empty warehouse with right. a bunch of QR ah. codes. But at any rate, God, the, I forgot about that. Yeah, so. <laughs> So there's this thing. I think. I think that it's not that we just like disappear into virtual realities because. Well, I said because at least at the beginning, it's it's empty the, in there. Like the, this is the more VR, interesting. The VR AR thing is going to converge but, before that even happens. Yes, if you if you go to a robot, then surely you're the one who has responsibility for your stuff. Oh, I see. If you duplicate yourself, well, this is this is another one of those Greg Egan problems. What's the other one? Um, Permutation City, right? So, I did not read that one. Oh, I let me recommend it. Like Permutation City is speaking of Rick and Morty, it's like every problem with the cloning thing. Like everyone I ever thought of in sixth grade and more of them, of what happens when I used to write this on my arm and I saw someone who had a tattoo that says you are not the copy. Because on the risk, because she you know, you get yourself scanned and then after she was scanned she wrote you're not the copy. You know, when she, when she, and so when she comes... Any sufficiently advanced 3D printer would tattoo you. Well, no, because they scanned her completely, and then as she was, you know, going to sleep in the hospital, she wrote, you're not the copy. Wakes up, okay. But the one inside of it, because you make the, one of the rules of it is that a copy can always turn themselves off. It was just one of the ethical laws that they put in. So you try this 50 times, but the copy always just turns itself off. Fuck this, right? And so really know yourself. You're like, okay, if I turn out to be the copy... I'm going to be the homework clone who sits there and does all my homework. And the other one gets to live an awesome life because it just has my job. And I'm living in what looks like my apartment, you know. And I'm, But, like, I do all my work that I was doing. And I know that my other self somewhere is kicking it on the beach. And, um, but, like, every time they're like, oh, fuck, I'm not doing it. I think the more realistic thing is that it's, it's going to be easier for us to... Uh, and this is just so, so one of those says well what if I just make five of myself and massively parallel that homework in here how many of us can we make and then we do all that work instantly and now we've got ten of right, us so, can like, you afford what, the, the server space for that you know what yeah. some stories that's a problem I'm talking about a world in which that's not a problem 
you know, how many more doublings of Moore's Law? Well, we say we have six more until we keep thinking that. But, like, let's just say obscene quantum computing and that's not the problem. Right? I mean, this is my idea of what's happening with the multiverse in the first place. If it's every version where the math hangs together, it's because something is massively paralleling us. You know, whether it's thing that's trying to work out 42 or whatever is the answer and just running a billion copies of this. If the multiverse and if massively parallel, it's comforting in the sense that we get through our cultural adolescence in in high 10 number of universes, right? It's not comforting in that I, I just, I say superhero because shaman, I don't know what a shaman is. I know what a superhero is, like has powers, tries to save the world, right? But I'm not superhero enough to stand and all of them happen. Because awesome, that means that I'm, you know, we make it in however many universes, but I'm a child molester in however many universes, and I die horribly in however many. Transfinitely. <laughs> Transfinitely. And if that's what it takes for, then what do we have left? Just cosmic Calvinism? Well, I'm lucky to be this guy. And, you know, there's a bunch of them with the same past and different futures, so we all have the same karma. You know, we have the same past that every moment is whipping off into different futures. We all deserve what we deserve, but it goes every single possible way. Then we're just lucky to do this guy. And it's just like, if it's either determined or if it's, or all of them happen, then why the hell am I trying to cut a path through this thing, right? <laughs> like, why am I, this is, it's, it's artistically offensive to me. Like, it devalues my art. I wonder about... <laughs> but maybe just because yeah. I can't fucking take it, right? Well, no, I, I mean, I think that you and I have come back time and time and time again to this this thing, which is that, you know, why am I trying to cut a path through this is really the same question as, like, where does the wish come from? Hmm. Like, what it... Right, you know, if it's determined, then you, that's just what you're, what you're going to wish, right? Yeah, and... You that's know, my husband's view. He doesn't take psychedelics anymore. He's a Jason Naylor. He's an amazing man. But he's just like, yeah, you know, I figured out it's a trick universe. I don't need to keep digging at that. It's like as if you've climbed up into the movie projector room and you've stuck a screwdriver in the projector and you're like, look, look, it's a movie. It's frozen on one frame. And you're like, yeah, now take the fucking screwdriver out of it and let it run because this is how it's meant to be seen one frame at a time. Like, look, look, it's a movie. I proved it. Yeah, yeah, take the screwdriver out of it and let it run. Why do you need, why do you want to mess with that and prove it? It's enough to go, okay, it's a trick universe, obviously. It's meant to be viewed one frame at a time. Why are you trying to mess with it? I'm like, ah, for all the obvious reasons. And he's, he's, he's like, okay, are, go persist in your folly. You will become what wise. Are, what are... This is, you know, I know this is a good place to to swirl this into a, a single cohesive Oh, God, I know, because we've been probably at it for two hours again. Um, but, we love you, you, future people. What I hope it's awesome in the future. And, and past. I mean, you know, I know you're listening to... Um, <laughs> What do you think are the obvious reasons for wanting to jam your screwdriver in the projector well, once you once you know? Once you know... Oh, I mean, I think he's probably right. It's a trick universe. It, 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 but, then but, why, why do you keep petitioning the wish-fulfilling jewel? Curiosity, okay, is... I guess it's, it's maybe it's, it's the devil. My, my Burning Man camp is Prometheatrics, right? Bringing fire to mankind since the dawn of time we... Oh, I figured out why fire and language are associated uh, because you're sitting around a circle at night facing each other suddenly. But, um, right, when we got that suddenly, instead of going to sleep at night, we sat around a circle facing each other. Oh, no more work to be done. But, like, 
if it wasn't for this, I think there's evolutionary potential in it. That's that's why, because I think that it, there always has been. I think that cavemen whose wishes came true had more babies. If you were wishing for a mate or some food and it came to you, you survived. And so I feel like it's there's evolutionary potential in being getting good at steering towards versions in which I would love to steer towards versions in which we avoid some kind of horrible apocalypse. Or apocalypse just means lifting of the veil or whatever. But that we have, that Arm- we have Armageddon. Armageddon. Yeah. Less, less, that we, that, less classy. That, that I, I'm trying to move towards versions in which positive evolution continues. Positive again, meaning aesthetically satisfying to myself. Or you know, and we look. We may lose a continent on the play. If there's any aesthetic justice, the one we live on. <laughs> but moving towards universes in which the career of novelty is not in danger. You're right? suggesting it, it has an evolutionary value. Suggests, you're suggesting that there's a, there's a, a, a macro-evolutionary ratchet towards magic. Well, no, no, we, this is how we ended it last time, actually. This was important. This means something. My husband actually had me made, uh, you know, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh-huh. It's a cross-stitch thing with made of mashed potatoes, and it says, this means something. This is important, right? Because I'm like, ah, I'm just staring at it. I know this means something. This is important, right? But but this means something. This is important. When I when I manifest something, when I you know have all the bandwidth and and try to move into the version in which it, it had to start in the past. What I'm thinking of, like it had to be coming to me for a long time, which is evidence towards that's what was going to happen anyway. I get it. You're right about that. Like I said, it's still the same for us. In which case, universes are more likely that have sentient entities in the future that are back manifesting all of this. You know, that are pulling pulling like a magnet the world towards itself. It's that push and pull evolution. Some of it's being pushed from behind and some of it's being pulled forward like a magnet. And versions that they're are sentient beings in the future who are wishing for all of this to come true because they're outside of time their wish is outside of time are pulling this thing towards itself and so versions in which there's no sentience in the future are less likely to occur than ones in which there are and and so in that sense it's an evolutionary ratchet because the ones that are more evolved and let's just say more conscious even are more likely now, I know I'm not that, saying that's true. I'm saying I, I, I like if, that idea. Yeah. Okay. Me too. And I know that <laughs> I know that if you have listened this far, uh-huh. that chances are you haven't had your psychological immune system inflamed <laughs> by the the uh, speculation here. So it probably will offend no one to bring up John Joe McFadden of the University of Surrey, whose book Quantum Evolution I read in high school in Wyoming, in the Dinosaur Quarry, <laughs> and which completely changed my whole perspective on... Actually, I guess I read it in, in college. You were going to be like college, a paleontologist at some point or whatever? Yeah, I mean, this this book is one of three to five books that I would identify as having derailed that because... Seminal to you. Yeah, because... And shout out to Bruce Damer. Origins, oh, God, I love Dr. Bruce. Yeah, I love him, love him, love him, love him. Oh, my God. He, I love him. Not just intellectual, I love him as a person, like we're friends. John Joe McFadden yeah. spoke to in this book was the possibility of quantum computing and uh, 
the parallel processing of superpositioned macromolecules, organic molecules, in, in a quantum superposition, leading to an instantaneous eruption of life. That the reason that it exists as far back as we can seek it in the fossil record. Is this like part of the morphic fields idea? Well, like no, 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 like no, no, no. there's the the one that's most likely. I mean, I guess kind of, yeah, but okay, it's, it's tangential. Uh, I mean, or rather, it's further down. It's right, so the macromolecules. So the idea being that you know you you have this thing. Oh, the complexity of a living cell, or you know even the simplest self-reproducing molecule, is vastly too complex. You know, and, and to their credit, you know, Damer and his team... Well, just long strings of polymers or something. It's impossible. Like, they, they've made... No, I mean, here they, we they're, are, they're, so it's not impossible. They've, they've made 300, 500 MERS Oh, no, we started over. It's like, he's like, no, they're, we started it. We, yeah, this is how life started. Like, we, we did so it. We did close. it a few times, yeah. Yeah, and I'm prepared to be proven wrong yep. about this, but I do like that John Joe McFadden had this, this proposal, which was that life could have been one of these deals where... It reached the complexity required for it to reproduce, to become a self-reproducing molecule in the quantum phase space, and that its reproduction collapsed the wave function. That it, as soon as it reproduced, it required resources and therefore interacted with the surrounding right. environments. And, but massively, and left, it massively paralleled all the left, potentials right, until one left, of them was right, real enough. superposition. So what it basically means is that what he I, was said, saying, I think this is happening in the quantum like, computer soon, in the first yeah, place. As soon as you have the basic ingredients in place, it happens mm-hmm. right away because the inevitability is deter- is like a, it's a self-determining... It seems like it was about as fast as it could have been. Like, almost when the planet was cooled enough for it to be, we had, you know, self-replicating long strings. Like, yeah, I know that future Bruce Damer is rolling in his grave ha. listening to us talk about this. Current living Bruce Damer would probably have some interjections he would wish to process. But, um, but so Heisenberg is rolling with unknownable momentum in his grave. Yeah, when he... I bring all that stuff up because <laughs> what you're saying is basically that. This notion that the greater, more inclusive, more intelligent, more magical thing, reality, whatever you want to call it, that it backcasts its own, it creates its own rationale, uh-huh, uh-huh. It uh, choreographs its own history, and that well, yeah, I mean, th- a, this may a... be the only time that's actually happening. If it's like, I'm not saying this is likely. I think that the past makes sense, but it makes sense. It's, it's plausible. But uh, there's supposedly as many people alive right now as there's been people since art. You know, like six billion people or something, seven, and that's as many people as ever lived. Th- as this instance of a game, right on this server. We're at this level of complexity where it really seems like it's a bifurcation point. That's what you're saying about why you started this podcast in the first place. If this, if we make it to the future, then the people of the future are really interested in this time. Like there's as many people studying the Greek Renaissance as there were people in the Greek Renaissance, like more people now. Let's say we make it to hundreds of worlds for billions of years or it's too far to star travel, but we make it to hundreds of servers for billions of subjective years or whatever. All of those people are, this is the make or break point. Did we, how did we get through this time? How many things had to go right? Got all of them. 
All of them. How many things I think right? All of them for them to be sitting there right now. God, we must have backpropagated themselves, we're saying. We must have freaking back manifested ourselves. There was no freaking way that aliens betting on people right now would think that we were gonna make it through this time. And they would be Unless they know what you know. <laughs> but if you're just looking at it, you know, sort of naively from the outside, you can No, they're fucked. They're fucked, right? But if, like I said, if you're betting that we're going to lose the game and sitting there with your hands on your hips going like, ah, oh, we're screwed, you know, whatever, what do you, you know, if you bet that we are going to make it and you're right, the people of the future, you know, you could be a hero. I've always had a problem with conversations about probability because probability... How likely is this? Yeah, because probability... Pro- the probability is one to one. We're standing here, right? Probability is about our ability to, probability that we're going to correctly guess. Right. Probability is, <laughs> I think, is a... A determinant of the knowledge of the system, right? Working at SFI, I just read this this piece. Uh, Artemy Kolchinsky and David Wolpert just put out this piece on an information theory definition of meaning, and their their whole thing about meaning was that meaning, basically, and I'm I'm you know butchering this, but is a pattern in information that's relevant to the physical system perceiving it such that, that was like, the meaning of meaning or whatever yeah yeah well that, that it's like that that it has to it has to be relevant to the continued existence of that system in whatever way or just amusing to us for or it something. to for it to have meaning otherwise it's just neutrinos like f- flying through us you know penetrating us constantly without us without interacting it's just ghosts or whatever it doesn't you know it's it's you know, the X-ray becomes, again, like the gamma wave becomes significant to the extent that we can sort of realize that, you know, this is an information there's a survival deal involved there and that we can detect it and that we that we can adjust and that we can perceive and respond, you know, and that that, that uh, cybernetic component of it is really essential. Where X versions of it are just going to be gobbledygook or whatever, like most of them in the Library of Babel thing. You know, well, it's meaning... just that, that, that there's so much information that has no meaning, but it's not that it has no meaning, it's that it has no meaning to you. Right. You know, right. it's, it's, something else could look at this meaning again. Meaning is like... not an objective property. It's, no, it's I don't about think the that relationship it is. between I guess the, there's an information yeah. theory idea for it, but like basically, meaning is something later in history that goes back and finds that thing, you know, might have been, it might be able to, or might have, if they had encountered, have been able to draw meaning from the thing. Like maybe nobody ever encounters this piece of information and is able to sew it into meaning, but potentially they could have in some variation they do. Yeah. And, and so, you know, in a sense, it's like if everything, if we know, if you and I know that everything that happened leading up to this moment had to happen in order for us to be here, then if we were capable of paying the requisite amount of attention to this situation, then we would consider everything that has ever happened to be of like, to, to be suffused with meaning because sure. it's, it's relevant because it was necessary for the conditions of our being, for our existence. I think that it probably is, but because this is one, this is the history that got us here, and there may have been, you know, shorter paths. Again, if quantum, massively multiplayer, whatever, or like massively processed thing, then sure, maybe this was the shortest path. Maybe we're standing in the shortest path to get to the future, and it's just long. You know, from our (laughs) perspective, it's long. There wasn't a shorter path, right? This is the best of all possible worlds in the sense that it's the shortest and most aesthetically satisfying path 
to get to where it's going. And it's just, there wasn't a version in which. But like I said, if you were eternal or very long lived, you would get over candy universes immediately. I mean, immediately as in billions and billions and trillions of years. It's like, okay, we did a bunch of universes in which Star Maker is like, oh, okay, everything happens happily and it gets to the thing and then everything happens happily and it gets to us again. And it's like, oh, it doesn't freaking, it's not art. It doesn't cut you. It's not like, oh, right? Like, how beautiful is the thing when it freaking transcends all of that and breaks through into this more awesome, glorious thing? Like, it's better than a candy. And the candy universe doesn't evolve because if there's not actual survival pressure, evolution only happens when there's actual survival pressure. So in one where everything just happens happily, we never get past caveman days because it never evolves. It doesn't need to. It's perfectly fine as it is. There's no friction. Evolution requires friction. That's dukkha in the Buddhist, you know, the thing that rubs against itself. But if you don't have something that rubs against it, you know, if you don't rub it against it, you ain't going to get no evolution, right? <laughs> and so it's, it's just necessary, and it's part of the art. And uh, Yeah, the boundary conditions. I'm into it. Because <laughs> you damn well better be. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Oh. What do we got? Is it, is it, we're not cutting this in half again. I'm not letting you. No, what let's we end it. All right. This well, we can do it again someday. T-Furry. Um, I love you. I know. You're so I love good. you, too. I love where? your short story. Oh, my God, the 95, the... I was seriously me and Heather who brought Wait, me here. Uh, was it uh, the ninety-one? Of, right? Was it ninety-one? I think it was, was ninety-one. It, Oral history of the end of reality. Yes, it's. I love that short story. Me and Heather who brought me here were rolling around on the ground, going like, "Oh, oh, oh!" Like, "Oh, do you have other fiction?" Like, when I. I do not have other fiction. Oh, you should make some. It was but, so good. But you also, um. you also have <laughs> this epic science fiction novel that you've been writing since I met you, oh, since yeah. long before I met you. I, well, that remains unpublished mm. and unshared, to my knowledge. I've never seen. I it. mean, I should no. I yes, but the thing that's going to come out soon is my book of Arrowhead essays, and I, yeah, like I said, I write a column for Arrowhead called Tea Time. Um, psychedelic musings from the center of the universe and I've been doing it for 10 years so I just passed 10 years writing for heroin that's right I'm 44 bitches I type my papers in college um if your writing for Arrowhead career were a child, Jean Piaget would say it had arrived at formal operational cognition by now. Right, no, I could die and it could catch lizards on its own or whatever. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's made it, right? It made it. And, and uh, so, but I, it's been, I wrote Mapping the Source, which is my long poem about 5-MeO DMT. And then I actually did a sequel for that that's not on Arrowhead called Carrying the Light. And if you look up T-Fairy, Carrying the Light, you can find the audio, which was telling off all the quote-unquote shamans who were blazing into town and charging 400 bucks a pop and lighting 10 of them up, right? And then I, there hasn't been... Which, I'm fine with people charging money, but, like, if it's what they say that it is, you know, it's not, set them up and knock them down is not the way to play this thing. You can get married in a wedding chapel in Vegas with, you know, Elvis in a line, but, like, if this is really this big a deal, why not have it be all about you? You know, you wouldn't, let's say at least your nesties and your friends or whatever, not random strangers. Well, somebody, um, somebody has got to charge people money to... No, I said, like I said, it's farmers, farmers, doctors, nannies, shrinks, masseuses, priests, and whores is getting paid for sake of work. It's okay to charge for yours, right? But if you're, if you are putting profit over people, right, it's fine to charge for this thing, but like, 
what was uh, part of the bit was uh, what a quintessentially American modality we've done found ourselves a drive through enlightenment machine step right up and lay right down all this can be you for the low low price of all the market will bear because we've done found ourselves a cheat code and I was saying we're going to be this neo-Buddhist little old lady sitting on a virtual front porch going like back in my day we didn't have no nanites in our neuron shit we didn't have no halfway decent drugs we just had to try to hypnotize ourselves we're just sitting there think, trying to think about not trying to think about anything <laughs> But, uh, See you there no. knitting your neural lace on the rocking chair. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. But it's like a fake rocking chair, you know. Um, virtual backport. Anyway, so the curtain light. But I, it's been three years since I put in anything because I promised the next thing. I've got a backlog of things. I'm, I'm writing an essay right now about you know our mutual friend uh, Robin's uh, about about machines, basically about VR psychedelic experiences. You're talking about Robin Arnott's video game yeah, yeah, Sound Self. Yeah, Sound Self, which yeah. is freaking amazing. And uh, his company is now putting out um, Andrew Jones's Microdose thing, which was also partly based on a short story that I wrote, actually. Uh, really? Oh, no, no, yeah, Andrew. No, Andrew is going to be on the show soon. Oh, really? Well, to yeah. ask him. Um, the heroes of my short story were people who were making the live holography in like these hyper-connected dance parties and you know what they were imagining with their mind was sort of dripping down between us and so you can stand with with a microdose on and you know be making the stuff that's like dripping down around all the people dancing if you do it in his dome that's why he put um my partner on the 2011 Burning Man ticket because we were the people who yeah, wrote that yeah, thing, right? Yeah, VR and, and uh, 2D projectors are just not cutting it for <laughs> no, it's me. Coming. No, I it's coming. Dude, I, want... I know it's, it's in its embassy, dude. It's coming fast. But it, if you will put the mask on, though, and you can look around at it, right? But the thing about the dome, like, he, co- he goes and puts up this dome, and so you can see it. Like, the person with the mask on can see it 3D. But if you're just dancing in the dome, you see it dripping down the dome around you. And it's coming when we just get decent AR with the freaking contact lenses. We can all see the. I just want to get the. I want to get the holograms off of the face. Like the Google Glass thing was a. No, you was, know what? I remember like the, when you the got the glasses. Like, like, oh, oh, oh. It's great. It's great. But I, I want. I want the technology to be in in the building, and not in the well, body. That, that's what I'm but saying. You know, Andrew Jones is dumb. It's in the freaking dumb. Yeah. But anyway, pop pop. Um. I just gotta say this thing if you freaking you put the whoever when they just look like sunglasses even when they just look like mirror shades and you can't part of the problem with google glasses is you see your eyeballs popping around yeah okay but they just look like mirror shades and I can see you and I can also see your freaking dragon wings and the freaking fractals morphing around on your skin and if you're on my you know, you know server yeah I can see them, baby but like if if you're on my server you can see the X-wing battle in the sky every 15 minutes right <laughs> but more importantly, there's cameras on the side of them, and I can see out of your eyes. Right. When I can see out of your eyes, whoever gets on top of being the YouTuber, Netflix, or uh, either not Netflix, but uh, Instagram or whatever of that, the the changer, we're like, oh, you're, my friend's up closer to the stage. I'm gonna look through their eyes. Oh, my friend's at this bombing in Afghanistan, or somebody just keeps an open server. Like I said, you're, this is the step towards the self-similarity of your cosmic periscope, right? How many fans do you have looking out of your eyes all the time? And what's wrong with them that they're not living their own lives? Um, yeah, the, you know? the, 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 the issue of vicarity. But, but whatever, pop up. So I'm finishing with this essay about ayahuasca. And I have been, I was up freaking every other day, like six hours up river from the acutosphere. I had a problem I didn't believe in. I was allowed to die. I was... And so I've been trying to write about my experience with ayahuasca. 
and I found out from Earth, you know, who one of the people who runs Arrowhead, I said, do you think I have a million hits put together? He said, are they all the million hits? And I'm like, they each have a million hits? It's like, yeah, it's mostly been the only column on Arrowhead for, you know, they, we get 100,000 unique visitors a day. And I was, they don't pay me, so I didn't know, right? And I was like, oh, yeah. shit. And suddenly, Should have been smart ads. <laughs> no, yeah. no but, some, but suddenly the responsibility, it's like the Terrence McKenna problem. Like, some people are going to take you literally. There's a bunch of 19-year-old kids. If I say entities, they're going to believe entities. If I say little darts, they're going to believe little darts. And I, you know, the responsibility got really heavy. I mean, it's taken me years to put this out. But when I finish the editing of this essay, then I get to put out a book of all of my Arrowhead essays. And they're going to put it on their freaking splash page. I'll be at least, you know, not rich solvent, right? And the fact that it could have been this entire time, but it was so important <laughs> for me because I'm so precise with language. My writing is very different than I talk, people. Like, it takes me hours to write a paragraph, and it's very intricate. Then, then, it's true. I can attest to this. We'll um, link to your writing in the show notes. Your, yeah, yeah, you your stuff is column. so methodical and articulate. And actually, that's a big piece of why we had to record this episode twice. <laughs> right, well, yeah, right. But I guess I, I write differently than I talk. Um, but so my, that book is going to come out of my TTMSs, and that's the thing that's going to be soon. And... I, I also was very worried about how my fans, who are all psychedelic, all but like self-experimentalists, are going to react to this. And you know how you say, well, if I could just help one person, if I'm going to give one person horrible trips, it upsets me. Right? And I know that what I have to say in this thing is going to be upsetting to a lot of people. It's, you know, I'm all for recreational DMT or whatever. But my experience of it was, I didn't know maybe what I'd been getting into, right? Don't take candy from strangers. Observe the candy. Observe the stranger. You know, do I want this thing, right? Imagine you were some entity that just, you know, you put all these spores out in the newosphere or something, and, like, somebody gets this thing, and they, they, it's, they occurs to them as everything they've ever wanted, just the thing itself. Like, oh, oh, it's everything, right? You click on it. You know, and like the Rift or whatever, you look at it and you clicked on it. You click on it, it starts downloading right away. What is it? You know, click on me, click on me, pick this one, pick this one, not this one, that one, click on this, right? And entities are like that. It tricks you as fuck. And you clicked on it, it starts downloading. What do they want? And Ayahuasca's like, I'm scanning you for patches, cookies, updates, viruses. And we have found some malware that... Like a dragon, Mama. Don't you realize you're using an insentient browser that doesn't give a shit about you? And it's not that DMT is evil. It's like I said. It's like you're using bad porn pop-up Windows ninety nine. Well, it's like we were talking about. No, it's not protecting it's like you. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't malicious. Right. It was no, just no, no, exactly. people well, what set it, up what, an ad what, revenue model trying to make it right, free. And it doesn't. It, it, well, so but the sites you're visiting are leaving cookies all over your shit. And you know, some of them were malware. Some of them were upgrades. Most of them, like, what is it? And the question doesn't read, what is it? And it's like, it's it's just got a cookie on your system. And I'm like, what's it doing as if it's about me? And it's like, no, it's not about you. It's like it's mining its fucking crypto on you. <laughs> like, it's just using your idle cycles, like SETI at home. It's just it got a cookie on your system. You're a time binder. You're actually processing data. You can't do it if you're outside of time. You need a machine to freaking process it on. We are one. We're holding an avatar in three space. We've got property. And it wants to make a deal with you that 
all, all I did was click on it. It didn't make a deal. Now it's got like a freaking cookie on your system. And it's just using it, using your idle cycles. And when you get those things defragged, you know, after a big psychedelic ayahuasca, you feel like, oh, I have so much of my processor back. Why? Because you defragged a bunch of those freaking cookies. And ayahuasca even is not aligned, people. Like, oh, it's good. It wants to heal you. It's grandma. It will help you fucking throw darts at your enemies just as much. If it's like, oh, it has a bunch of different faces that different types of people will make a deal with it. Sure, you can install yourself on my system. And you're going to give me the ability to see people's diseases or, like I said, throw little darts at your enemies or whatever it is. And so, hey, if I had cancer or something, I would go back and do it again. Like, I'm not not dealing with it. But I stopped trusting, like I said, recreational DMT or whatever, because I'm just not superhero enough to necessarily know that my virus protection is working. So, anyway, those essays are coming out, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And eventually, yes, my science fiction book will come out, and your science fiction book will come out. When you finish it, and um, let's race we and both, see who let's race and see if you can get it. Let's race and see if you can get it out Science fiction. Yeah, and, but I really uh, want to read yours. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm too. not freaking blowing you in any way like that. We were amazed. I listened to it like four times. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, and yeah, I'm sure that you. I'm sure that if I had any of your fiction in audiobook format I'd be listening the and shit not if I'm reading it we need someone else to read it like it's it's so it's really really good we just need someone no I need to learn I did better this time I hope I need to learn to speak more clearly but at least I learned to write clearly <laughs> <laughs> and with that and with that I love you. Brought Thank to you, you by placebo. If I want to just take more, placebo works like crazy. And now extra thanks, placebo. Placebo, because you know it works. <laughs> placebo. <laughs> Genuine placebo. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again for listening, folks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Future Fossils is part of the MindPod network. An absolutely excellent collection of shows. I suggest you go to MindPod Network and check them all out and subscribe to them all. Thanks again to all of you for sharing this show with your friends, for reviewing it wherever you listen. These are small deeds that add up in a big way, and they really help grow important conversations around important topics. So, so thanks again. I'll see you next week.